What are you doing here? It's challenge day. You know we've influenced nearly every facet of white America. From our music to our style of dress, walk, talk, dress, mannerisms. We enrich your very existence. You should say thank you, man. Welcome to the Black Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Tariq Kalameen. I greet you with the greetings of peace. I pray that you and your family are doing well. Uh, and once again, wish you the peace that only God can give you. Um, got a great guest today, a powerhouse of an individual, Brianna Payton. She is a policy analyst uh, with the Chicago Community Bond Fund and is also a leader with the Illinois Network for Pretrial Justice. So uh, welcome to the Black Blue Podcast, Brianna. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. First of all, um, what was the draw for you that, you know, what spoke to you and said, this is where I need to be. This is what I need to be doing. Yeah. So for me, um, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. Um, that is where my story starts. My family moved to a suburb not far outside of Detroit. Um, when I was relatively young, um, I finished out elementary school and, and middle and high school in the suburbs, but I also remained very connected to the city. My family was there, my church, you know, my different, you know, youth programs, Girl Scouts, what, what have you. I was, I was doing a lot of back and forth between what ended up kind of presenting to me as almost like two different worlds, you know, spaces where you know, in the city where there wasn't as much safety, where my mom didn't want me to go too far down the block. She said, stay, you know, only so many houses down where I can see you and, you know, didn't really want me in the public schools and, and, and grinded extra hard to put us in, her and my dad grinded to put us in public school and private school because of failures of the public school system and, you know, moving to the suburbs. And then my mom saying, oh yeah, y'all can walk to school. I'm just going to get you a cell phone and you can walk to school four blocks away. And it's like, oh, we can walk all the way. You definitely can't see us going all the way down there, but it's cool. It's cool. And then, you know, being in the, in the schools and it's like, oh yeah, you can be in public school. Like it's not a problem. And just seeing the differences in opportunities um, and the differences in races and who was given those opportunities, primarily black in Detroit, only black girl in my class when I was in Farmington Hills. And so, wow. um, and so just going through that transition and seeing those inequities, I think started the process of my being called to justice justice work, even though at the time I might not have realized it as such. I just kind of noticed those differences. But I know as I got older and I started to hear the different narratives in our society around what causes in inequity, I was not convinced. You know, when, when there would be insinuations in our meritocratic culture that if people are poor, it's because they didn't work hard enough or, you know, black people don't have the same educational outcomes because we don't value education or just different narratives that I don't, I can't even pinpoint exactly who said it when, but just that are kind of in the air and in the culture of our society that did not really seem to be the whole picture to me. I'm like, you mean to tell me all these people are just in this same situation because they, what, they're all lazy. You know what I mean? Like all black people, you know what I mean? Like it just right. doesn't make sense. But I, I think for me, when I got to college, um, that's when really things started to started to change for me. I went to uh, undergrad at Princeton in New Jersey, and I studied sociology as my major in African-American studies, American studies, and Spanish as my minor. And I started to learn about um, just systemic inequity. I started to learn about, you know, how class inequality gets passed down from one generation to the next, how you're likely to die in the same class that you're born into. And it's not actually all 
completely about what you're doing. And I started to learn about, you know, institutionalized racism and how policies um, have been created, not just slavery, but policies since then and continue to the present day that continue um, to oppress and, and to hinder uh, members of the Black community, communities of color, low-income communities. And I just started to really want to be a part of changing that. And then you add to that the fact that when I was an undergrad, the Black Lives Matter movement was kind of taking off and Mike Brown was killed the summer after my freshman year of college. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a, I was a Black student leader on campus. There were other Black student leaders on campus and we started coming together to say, how can we, you know, what can we do? We were all just feeling the the weight of it, the anger, the unfairness of it all. Um, we watched as Darren Wilson wasn't indicted um, for what he did. And same thing with Eric Garner. And it was just like so heavy. And we were being stirred up and ignited and people across the country are being stirred up and ignited, ignited. And we ended up organizing kind of in solidarity with the larger Black Lives Matter movement, you know, organizing walkouts of our class, die-ins in the campus center, protests about police brutality and racism nationally, but also protesting racism on our campus and the way that it was manifesting there and saying, you know, what are y'all going to do to give Black students a safe space? We, you know, we protested and got, you know, uh, African-American studies major established when it was only a minor before we got affinity spaces oh, wow. for Black students. You know, eventually um, we protested in a way that led to the name of the public policy school being changed and no longer being named after Woodrow Wilson, though that came years later. Like we protested around those things. And I think for me, the process of seeing the way that protests could actually lead to change and advocating could actually lead to, to different policies and being at the table to see those things through, that became inspiration for me of what I wanted to do kind of for the rest of my life. You know, I just said, if I can do this in college, I want to do this in the real world. Like if this is the things that we can do that can change things for Black students and marginalized students on this small campus, imagine this type of work, you know, out in the community. And so I think especially because I was doing internships with nonprofits in the summers, I was seeing that that was a pathway that you could actually pursue professionally. And so that's what I decided I wanted to do. I moved to Chicago after uh, graduating college. My dad is from here. So it was kind of already oh, a second okay. home to me. Um, and I had done a summer internship there when I was in college and I had done nonprofit work in the city. And I saw how much energy there was here around advocacy and organizing and social change. And I just wanted to come and be a part of it. And so I came to Chicago. I started working in reentry. I got my master's in social work and social policy, continuing to focus on the criminal legal system um, and was blessed enough to land at CCBF after I graduated the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Um, and the reason I really felt like I wanted to come to CCBF was because I had had the opportunity during my master's program to work on people's individual cases through a legal internship with the federal defender, which is like the public defender for people with federal cases. And I saw the way that I could use skills of like writing and advocating to really help improve outcomes in people's sentences and their situation in the legal system. But, you know, I was pouring hours and hours to tell one person's story in order to change one sentencing outcome, which was important and incredibly meaningful to me. But I knew that the system was churning out stories like these by the hundreds of thousands. And Absolutely. so I'm like, how can we add, how can I be a part of advocacy that is going to try to address the outcomes of people at the same rate that the system is causing those outcomes, not one by one. And so that is why I really wanted to come to the Chicago Community Bond Fund because of the advocacy that our team has done around pretrial policy. Uh, 250,000 people, you know, are going through Illinois jails every year. So when you work on policy, the impacts that that is, that is something that can affect people at the same rate that the system is affecting people. 
Yeah. I see you as being very much on the front line of today's struggle for justice. And I think that one of the impacts of the civil rights movement being televised, you know, the marches, the speeches, the physical attacks, uh, is that when people look back at that footage, there can be a tendency sometimes to not necessarily to glorify, but maybe to romanticize it, you know, where people might lose sight of the uh, often mundane nature of organizing. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible. I don't claim to be to be sacrificing at the level of the shoulders of the people that I'm standing on. I mean, they went through some next level things. Um, and so I think in some ways, yes, it can be glamorized, but in some sense, I think that it is warranted because they lived in a, such a different time and had to endure such different things. And there's certainly continuities between the injustice against our community that, that you know, our activists experience, like we have present day activists who have been politically targeted and killed and, and imprisoned and all these different things. And so definitely not erasing that that continues to happen, but you know, a lot of us in the present day are in a privileged position to be able to do this work um, in in healthy, supportive environments. Um, at least, at least within our movements. Obviously, um, we're going to face resistance from people who have different politics and different visions for the world and who who benefit from from systems of oppression being perpetuated. But I think that, yeah, I think to a certain extent, sometimes we idolize the sacrifices of the people that came before us because they really did have it a lot harder. Um, but yeah, I think that, that, yeah, there's, there's another side to the work that doesn't get captured on camera. You know, the late nights, the, the meetings, the, the going back and forth to make collective decisions and reach consensus. It's not always easy. You know, you see movements and activists come out sometimes on, as a unified front, um, when, when the protest is happening or when the campaign is launching, but you don't know how long it took to get to that place, you know? Um, I came into, um, and I'll talk about this a little bit more, I came into the movement to end Money Bond um, in the fall of 2020 when I joined the team at the Chicago Community Bond Fund. And, you know, the principles that we're able to list, you know, without hesitation that we all are organized around as a coalition and as a network, you know, one of the old heads of the coalition told me we spent six months you know, developing and agreeing on those principles, you know, and so it's it's the nitty gritty, it's the long haul, it's the building relationships, there's so much that goes into this work that, that you don't see on camera, but it is just as important, whether that is in the past or in the present day. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, leading through consensus, um, it is it is hard, it, it is hard work. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it tests your commitment. Um, because if you're not committed to it, you definitely can't, you know, you can't participate in that type of work. Absolutely. Um, can you talk about, uh, as a black woman, um, and historically, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of this has been unearthed now when people go back and look at the civil rights movement, um, in particular, and they realize that the, uh, the, the leadership role, uh, the glue, uh, and the engine, uh, that black women represented within that movement. Um, and then you reference the uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, you know, a movement started by women, right? Mm -hmm. um, is this ever in your mind, the idea of kind of carrying on a legacy of, uh, of, of engagement and, you know, just kind of community stewardship that in the past may have been overlooked, known, but overlooked, 
Uh, and, and now where, you know, it's like, okay, now it's time for me to, you know, not just do the work, but I'm also stepping forward and I'm telling people where to go. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's such an interesting question. I don't know that I think about it that way in the day to day, but I think that I definitely look up to the Black women who have come before me, you know, that have been critical to the movement, um, sometimes in the background, sometimes in the shadows, uh, but more so in recent years, you know, in the in the forefront. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely am so honored to be a part of the legacy of, of Black women who pour so much care and love into our communities um, and who are not afraid to raise our voices to advocate for what we believe in. I know that when I was um, involved in trying to kind of raise um, awareness of racism on, on my campus in undergrad, we did a photo campaign where we held up um, these different signs that spoke to different experiences that we had in terms of microaggressions on campus and mine was don't tell me to calm down when I speak my mind because I had experienced you know a classmate kind of trying to shut me down and telling me to calm down and I think that I refuse to be silenced because of the angry black woman trope you know I, I think that I, I, I have had the opportunity to learn more about what are the things that have been used to silence black women in the past and to marginalize us? And, I, and so, and, and following in the footsteps of those that came before me, I refuse to be held back by those things. You can't tell me that black women can't lead. We are leaders. You can't tell me that we're wrong for speaking up. I will speak my mind. Um, and you can't tell me that we can't make positive, powerful, lasting change in our communities because I've seen it done before. And so I'm absolutely um, glad to be a part of that lineage. Yes, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I want to go back to the idea of participatory leadership. Uh, you know, I think I think that is key uh, across the board. And I think often what happens is is we we find ourselves splintering off, uh, or just becoming disengaged when we feel like our voices are not being heard. Mm. Um, when we think about these voices that are often unheard and dismissed and often not not at the table are there particular ways that through your work that these voices are brought into the fold where you know a space is made for their voices and they're encouraged to be a part of this struggle absolutely and I think that's one of the things that really drew me to CCBF um, to the Chicago Community Bond Fund was seeing the ways in which um, it had a grassroots origin and a ongoing practice of really building relationships and building alongside people who have been directly impacted by the system and not being afraid to center the most directly impacted people, not being afraid to center Black people, poor people, brown people, um, and unapologetically name that. Um, you know, CCBF was not started as a nonprofit organization originally. It was started because community members came together to mourn a young man named Deshaun Pittman who was shot by uh, the Chicago Police Department, um, someone in the Chicago Police Department. And when they held a vigil to mourn his passing, uh, members of the Chicago Police Department came and disrupted it, kicked, kicked things over, and then arrested people who were there mourning, some of his family members and friends. And they were all in jail on uh, bonds that amounted up to $30,000. Uh, and it was the effort to get them out the community effort that four months of fundraising to get them out 
that led to a revolving fund because once they got them out and got that money back, they decided there are more people who need this help. Let's keep this going. Um, and so from then, you know, from that point forward, CCBF, you know, operated as like a collective, a volunteer run, volunteer based consensus led collective um, for a while before it eventually um, became an official organization. And even as an organization, there has been an emphasis on uplifting the um, building relationships with and lifting up the stories and voices of people who have been impacted by the system, because that that's whole, ultimately who this whole movement is about is the people who are suffering all of these injustices without and, and the system kind of obscures that, you know, when people go through things in the criminal legal system, it's almost like so, so much terrible th things, so many terrible things are happening to them, but, but it's obscured. People don't know it's happening or they assume that it's justified because they see people as criminals or see them as, you know, they must have done something to deserve this. And so being able to bring people to the forefront and say, actually, no, this is a person just like you and I, um, who is worthy of being treated with dignity and respect and don't just don't don't have us speak for them listen to them for yourselves and 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 hear their power um and their struggle in the face of injustice and their power to overcome and 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 hear for yourself the importance of making sure that more people don't go through the same things um that that people that we have bonded out or worked with have been through you know you bring up a really powerful point that um it's kind of it's 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 almost going to send me down a rabbit hole uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna stop myself but just the idea of centering the voices of those impacted without consideration of approval of others right because there's there's this unfortunate this pathology if you will where even in the act of of trying to undo a wrong the oppressed feel that it is their responsibility to be uh, acceptable uh, to those who are oppressing them. Yeah, it, it's so important not to fall into respectability politics on this issue. And, yeah. and that is that is a huge issue when it comes to criminal working in change and changing the criminal legal system, because there's already a, a layer of non-respectability that is kind of assumed about people who are in the criminal legal system. It's assumed that they did something wrong, they got them in this situation, they deserve it. So there's all these narratives that you're coming up against, but the, the rebuttal to that isn't to try to present somebody or make somebody pretend that they're perfect. It's not about people being perfect or perfectly sympathetic victims. It's about the fact that nobody should be treated this way in a system that is supposed to um, or claims to advance justice. Um, nobody should be abused. Nobody should have their rights violated. If you're literally, if this system is supposedly claiming to uphold um, protecting people's rights, how can you do that and at the same time violate people's human rights? Like the hypocrisy is, is really alarming. And so it's not about making, it's not about trying to be the perfect, the perfect people that can make you feel like, oh, it shouldn't have happened to them. No, it's not that it shouldn't have happened to a particular type of person. It's that it shouldn't happen to anybody. To anybody. It shouldn't right. happen to anybody. Right. Uh, so let me ask, how does CCBF become involved with the uh, Illinois Network for Pretrial Justice? Yeah, so the Chicago Community Bond Fund was, uh, and, and our founding executive director and founding 
um, members were founding members of originally the Coalition to End Money Bond. Mm -hmm. So the Coalition to End Money Bond was started in 2016. Um, uh, the founding executive director of CCBF, Charlene Grace, um, and others from other organizations in Cook County came together and, and said, okay, you know, from CCBS perspective, it's like we've been paying these bonds for people. But again, it's that it's that it's that distinction of one by one change versus systemic change. They're like, we don't have enough money to pay all the bonds that this system is churning out. We don't have the resources to just constantly deal with this um, at the at the level and the volume that it's coming at us. It's a systemic problem. So it needs a systemic solution. And so our founding executive director and others came together and said, we need to end money bond. Like we can, we, no matter how many bonds we pay, they're just gonna keep on charging people for their freedom. And the problem is not that there's not enough money to pay. It's the problem is that people shouldn't be charged for their freedom to begin with. And so they said, let's end money bond. And they came together and set that goal in 2016 um, and started organizing first in Cook County to, to make, to push for that change. Um, collaborated with uh, civil rights attorneys from the Civil Rights Corps and others to file a lawsuit um, in Cook County about the use of money bond is unconstitutional because essentially people are being held in jail because they are unable to afford to pay a certain amount of money, which is just not equal protection under the law because that means the only difference between somebody that is incarcerated and somebody who gets to go home while they're awaiting trial is how much money they have. Right. So basically you're incarcerating people for being poor. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the criminalization of poverty. And so it's just not constitutional as far as um, uh, equal protection under the law. So they sued about that. Um, and that in response to that lawsuit, the chief judge in Cook County, Timothy Evans, uh, issued General Order 188A, which caused, which required judges in bond courts to consider uh, people's ability to pay and not set money bonds in amounts that people could not afford to pay. Um, and that resulted in a significant reduction in the use of money bonds and, and, and it resulted in a significant reduction in the number of people who were um, being held incarcerated um, on, on money bonds and more people were being released on their own recognizance. Now it didn't completely end the use of unaffordable money bonds in Cook County, but it definitely pushed things in a, in a really significant right direction. Um, and so then there became the need to expand this movement statewide because this was not just a Cook County issue. And sometimes when you're doing criminal justice, criminal legal system reform work, there's this perception that, oh, it's just a Cook County thing. But this is happening to people in other parts of the states. And in some parts of the states, the systems are even worse because we're, you know, Black people are an even smaller minority. Um, there's racial animus in those other places. There's discrimination at even higher and higher rates that are less accountable in some other counties. And so um, it, it needed to become a statewide movement. And so that is why in 2019, um, the Coalition to End Money Bond, members of the Coalition to End Money Bond came together with people from across the state. And again, it's that long work, that relationship building, reaching out to people in Bloomington Normal and Rockford and East St. Louis and connecting with other people and organizations and coming together and saying, we're going to form this statewide network um, to push statewide change. So legislation uh, to, to address the issue of money bond in our system, pretrial incarceration in our system um, and all the harms that are caused by that. So yeah, CCBF was a, was a founding member of first the Coalition to End Money Bond and then the Illinois Network for Pretrial Justice. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, the coalition, uh, this coalition uh, for pretrial justice, 
celebrated a victory uh, in the Illinois legislature last year. Could you talk a bit about that? Yes. So last last year in January of 2021, um, on the heels of one of the largest uh, racial justice movements our our generation has seen. Um, the Illinois legislature uh, led by, with the leadership of the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus passed a criminal justice omnibus bill. So a package bill that include multiple pieces of legislation. Um, one of the pieces of legislation in there that took up over half the bill was the Pretrial Fairness Act. Um, and the Pretrial Fairness Act um, is the legislation that will, that will make Illinois the first state to end money bond and it will radically transform the state's um, pretrial legal system. And it's a huge victory for us because members of our network were, were intimately involved in the drafting and development of the legislation and the principles that, that guided the drafting of the legislation um, and in the advocacy that, that brought it to pass. And I should say that it wasn't just members of our coalition and, and, and the network, but it was all of the thousands of people across the state who have joined hands and forces with us and raised their voices um, to, to, to say money bond is wrong, pretrial incarceration is wrong, and we need, we need a better way. And so in response to that movement and those uprisings and all the people that have been educated over the years and, and filled out petitions and witness slips and testified and all these different things, it all coalesced and the legislation was passed and it will make Illinois the first state to end money bond. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, uh, and, and this is being done by, uh, is, this a, is this a volunteer group that is together? It is a combination of organizations that have paid staff and, and there are volunteers involved. Um, so like, for example, for me, I work at the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Um, and, but then we have other organizations that, that are more volunteer based that are a part of the network. And so it's, it's really a combination of, of staff and volunteers and people just, and, and there are some organizations that have staff, but it's still, it's still them giving their time and effort to the campaign because for some organizations, this is not the core focus of their mission, but they believe in this work. And so they dedicate you know, their time and resources to support um, this campaign. And so it's really just like a team effort. And then everybody you know, in the community who's text and phone banking with us about it and you know, attending teach-ins and things of that nature and spreading the word, that's, that's obviously people just being activated in the movement and just doing it because they believe in it. And so, yeah, it's, it's a whole combination of people contributing. So how, how do people stay connected, learn more, support, um, whether it's um, uh, Chicago Community Bond Fund or uh, the, the, the statewide um, network for pretrial justice? How do they do that? Yeah, so one of the easiest ways is to plug into our newsletter and social media pages. Um, you can find CCBF at chicagobond.org, and you can find the coalition and network at endmoneybond.org. And on those pages, you can also uh, find links to follow us on social media, and we will always share like on a monthly basis with our newsletters and our social media followers, if there's calls to action right now, we are encouraging people to send letters into the legislature because the Pretrial Fairness Act was passed, um, but we're in this kind of lead up to the implementation of it. And so part of it has gone into effect this year. Some of the reforms to electronic monitoring that were won under the Pretrial Fairness Act have gone into effect just this past month in January. Mm -hmm. um, but then 
But the biggest part of the legislation, the part that ends money bond and totally remaps the pretrial legal system is set to go into effect next year in January of 2023. But there are um, conservative legislators and law enforcement and opponents who don't want to see that happen, who want to see the legislation repealed and discredited before it even goes into effect. There are even people who are blaming crime on this legislation that has not gone into effect yet because that's how badly they want to discredit it. Um, and so we are really calling for people to let their legislators know that even though Chicago, like many other cities in Illinois, like many other states, may be dealing with you know, surges and harm in our communities, that we know that incarceration is not what fixes that. Incarceration is another form of harm. It creates and furthers and exacerbates cycles of harm. Our communities need resources. We're in a pandemic. We've been in an economic crisis. People need jobs. People need healthcare, housing. These are the things that make our communities safer. And so the more that people can really challenge those, those carceral narratives that try to make us think that this system that was only meant, ever meant to oppress is what's gonna keep us safe, by sharing our content on social media and reaching out to legislators, filling out the petitions, we, we greatly appreciate it. So yes, again, endmoneybond.org, chicagobond.org. If you wanna follow us on social media, we are at Shy Bond Fund on social media and End Money Bond on Twitter and Instagram. And then of course our names on Facebook. So the Chicago Community Bond Fund on Facebook and the Coalition to End Money Bond as well. So those are the ways you can plug in with us. And if you plug in with us, you will never miss um, a call to action. All right. All right. Well, Brianna, we certainly thank you for your leadership and your commitment. We thank the Chicago Community Bond Fund, as well as the Illinois Network for Pretrial Justice for uh, continuing the fight to bring justice to those who have been denied it for far too long. So thank you again. I'm just looking forward to the day when when, when it's not necessary. But yeah, uh, un but but until Still then. Yeah. Until then, then, we press on. That's right. That's right. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to talk with us, Brianna. And uh, we'd love to have you have you back in the future to talk about. Just let me know. Yeah. Just say the word. Thank All you right. so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I appreciate you lifting up our work. And thank you to everybody who is listening and who um, supports this movement because it wouldn't happen without you. Indeed, indeed. All right, family, our guest has been Brianna Payton. She is a policy analyst with the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Remember to keep up with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at the Black Blue Podcast. Look for us wherever you get your podcast at. Be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and to share. And now I leave you as I greeted you. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.